Podcastle, number 21, for August 19th, 2008. Hello, this is Rachel Swirsky, Podcastle's editor. Since Podcastle started, we've heard requests for a couple of specific types of stories. Stories with barbarian heroes, and stories with heroines wearing chainmail bikinis. Today's story has both, more or less. Alas, the chainmail bikini hasn't fared too well in modern fantasy. Most practical-minded sword-wielding heroines seem to have opted for armor that has a chance to preserve, rather than display, their pert, round bottoms. When I was in high school, one could find their fill of thewed barbarians and scantily clad sword-wielders in magazines like Adventures of Sword and Sorcery. But AS&S has disappeared from the shelves of our local bookstores despite, or perhaps because of, its suggestive initials. Luckily, chainmail bikinis linger in some of the important places, such as Google Images, where a moderate safe search yields over 9,000 pictures of chainmail bikinis, including my favorite on the first page, the chainmail bikini teddy bear. Not desperately sexy, but definitely plush. And of course, there are stories like today's, Hala Iron Thighs and the Change of Life, which give us the pleasure of high fantasy silliness in a comic and uplifting package. Today's author is K.D. Wentworth, who has sold over 70 short stories to venues such as Realms of Fantasy, F&SF, and Sword and Sorceress 23. She's seen seven novels in print, the latest being The Course of Empire, to which she and Eric Flint have composed a sequel that will be out soon from Bain. K.D. Wentworth lives in Tulsa with her husband and 160 combined pounds of dog, Akita and Siberian Husky. She is most devoutly retired from 27 years in the elementary classroom. Hala Iron Thighs and the Change of Life first appeared in Chicks and Chainmail, edited by Esther Freisner. The story is read for us by M.K. Hobson, author of Podcastle episodes Hotel Astarte and Hippocampus. To find out more about M.K. Hobson, visit her website at demimond.com or her blog, mkhobson.livejournal.com. Links in this intro are available on our website, podcastle.org. Enjoy the story. Hala Iron Thighs and the Change of Life by K.D. Wentworth The Jamplet Mountains between Alloway and Damory were tall and forbidding, infested with nasty, hulking bandits who hardly ever changed their socks or wrote home to their mothers. Goethe and I had done in 18 already that morning, which wasn't even a record for a single day. For the first time in our long partnership, though, I hadn't kept up my end of the fighting. My chainmail was tight across the back and under my arms, making me much slower on the downswing. The score so far was Goethe, 12, Hala, 6. I was in a seething, foul mood. It's just the change of life, Hala. My sister-in-arms, Goethe, a good ten years younger, gazed blithely ahead at the winding mountain trail. She flicked a gnat off her wrist. That's why it's best to die young. It happens to all of us eventually if we don't get our skulls smashed in glorious battle at an early age. Not to Hala Ironthighs, eldest daughter of Marula Bigfist, it doesn't. My bay mare, Corpsemaker, missed a step on the rock-strewn trail, and I had to grab the saddle for support. 
So when we get to Damory, we'll stop in at Benito's Hammer and Go and let his armorer add a few rings. It just means there's more of you to... I drew my sword with a great ringing hiss, irritated at the way my chainmail pinched at the slightest move. If you say it means there's just more of me to love, I'll slit you from nose to belly button. Our client, Purchase Doll, an anemic-looking hymnal merchant from far-off Brescia, cringed, then gazed longingly down into the green river valley below. His white donkey, resigned to his none-too-steady weight, merely bobbed its head and snorted. Not wanting to be left out, the three gray donkeys following behind, laden with boxes of hymnals, did the same. Goethe tossed her head and her golden braids flew in the breeze. What I was going to say is that there's more of you to aim at now, and so less chance of taking a mortal blow. Oh, that's okay then. My brow furrowed, I think. I stared sourly at Goethe's perfect profile and trim figure. The serving lad down at the disappointed sheep tavern had been making eyes at her last night, while I had only attracted the attentions of a smelly, no-good, toothless goat herder. I'd had to threaten to disembowel the latter in order to keep the idiot from hovering behind my back the whole evening. You always get crabby when you're too long in the saddle, Goethe said. Overhead, a red-tailed hawk creeled and dove through the crystalline mountain air. I considered skewering it with an arrow for being so cheerful, then turned around in my saddle to glare at Goethe. Are you implying that I'm getting soft? The hymnal merchant flinched, then kneed his donkey and trotted ahead of us around the next bend in the trail. I wouldn't do that if I were you, I called after him. This pass is dangerous. You never know when you're going to run into a bunch of low-down, dirty, skulking, ban- And just who are you calling dirty there, ducks? A familiar male voice called down from the rocks above. Actually, I'm thinking the two of you could do with a bit of spit and polish your own selves. Lomo, you skunk! Corpse Maker's hooves clattered as I pulled her up. That's Lomo, king of the bandits, to you, he said haughtily. I leaped out of the saddle, my sword Esmeralda in hand. I thought I split your thieving head open the last time you waylaid us. That, he said loftily from his unseen perch, was merely a clever ruse on my part. Rats and eels, I hate it when they won't stay dead. Goethe joined me, her sword at the ready, head craning to check out the odds. Holla, you must be losing your touch. She stared up at the rugged gray cliff above us and shaded her eyes against the sun. How many are there? A handful of small rocks cascaded down the cliff face, and we lurched back, dangerously close to the edge of the sheer path. Too many, I said, counting the visible tops of heads. Good. As always, Gerda's blue eyes were joyously savage. There is less glory in a fair fight. Yeah, yeah. I tied up Corpse Maker's reins and slapped her rump, urging the mare back the way we'd come. Goethe's gray gelding slasher and the three pack donkeys followed. I'll sneak back and climb up that depression just before the last bend. You guard his prissiness. I think he's cowering over there in those rocks. I'm not cowering, Dahl's voice rang out from around the turn. I'm praying. Praying? Lomo called down the cliffside. His voice quivered with eagerness. Is he a priest? No, I said crossly. But I have something to confess. He's not a priest, I reached for my bow. He leaned closer to the edge, and I could see his shock of disheveled red hair decorated with pigeon feathers. Are you sure? Now, bandits, being depraved brutes, are often keen on priests, and they're never the least particular about what kind. 
They like the odd bit of prayer when they can get it, just in case it might help tip the scales in their favor someday. And they're absolutely potty about confession. Like kings and politicians, they have this peculiar notion that they can do anything they want, as long as they're real sorry afterwards. He's not a priest, he's just a stupid hymnal salesman, I yelled back, trying to get a clear shot. Really? Several more interested scruffy heads popped over the side of the cliff. Does he know, nearer my Isis to thee? The merchant scurried back around the cliff on hands and knees, his face red as a throttled pig. I nudged his quivering body with my foot. Well? He shook his head so hard his flabby neck skin wobbled back and forth. No, I said, he doesn't. So you might as well come down and have your heads properly lopped off while the light is still good. Yes, Gerda chimed in with enthusiasm. What fun is it shedding blood if we can't see it? How about onward pagan soldiers? A different voice asked. My mum used to sing that one over my cradle. I cocked an eyebrow at Dahl. He looked uncertain. Can you hum a few bars? Gerda asked. Damnation, I said, completely out of patience. This isn't a sodding tea party, you know. Come down and fight. Don't get huffy there, ducks, Lomo called down amiably. I'll get around to killing you in a minute. You wish, cocky bastard. Now I remembered why I'd split his head open the first time. I motioned to Gerda to guard Dahl, then sheathed Esmeralda and ran back down the trail to a slope that looked climbable. I found a finger hold in the gray granite, then a toe hold, and set to work. What about the old rugged rune? I heard Lomo ask. That's always a real crowd pleaser. A few knobby roots protruded from the sheer cliff face here and there, and I used them when I could for handholds. My chainmail strained across my chest as I climbed, so tight I couldn't get enough air. Lomo's red-haired head appeared above me. He grinned. What's the matter, ducks? Having a spot of trouble? Just wait till I get my hands on you, I wheezed, wishing I could stop long enough to loosen my chainmail. I'll kill you so dead this time. Oh, you always say that. He waggled a finger at me. My goodness, have you put on a bit of weight? Maybe it's time you checked in at the old Amazon's home. You are, I said with great effort. Black dots were parading behind my eyes. A dead man. You really should have sent Gerda if you wanted some climbing done, he said reprovingly. She's still in top trim. Anyone can see that. While you, well, he leaned over the side of the cliff. My goodness, is that a gray hair? I lurched upward, the black dots behind my eyes having gone volcano red. The next handhold in the rock crumbled beneath my weight, and I made a frantic grab at a nearby root. It held for a second, then tore loose. I fell backwards, the useless thing still in my hand, Lomo's laughter ringing in my ears. I don't know what you want with that stupid root, Gerda was saying from the other side of the universe. It doesn't look the least bit appetizing, and it stinks. Wasn't I dead? Anyone who hurt this much ought to be dead. I groaned and thought about opening my eyes. Not today, though. Maybe next week or next year. They took everything, she said dejectedly, bashed me on the head with a rock the size of a castle, then stole Dahl, his hymnals, and our swords. I can't even find the horses. We'll never live this down once word gets around. That must be why they didn't bother to cut our throats. We'll be a laughingstock for ten kingdoms. I heard singing somewhere above us, echoing against the mountainside. Bad singing. Excruciatingly bad singing. On a hill far away, off-key voices were screeching, stood an old rugged rune. 
I wondered if maybe I could pry my eyes open just long enough to find the side of the cliff and roll over the edge to make this torture stop. Unfortunately, my eyes did open, and the daylight seemed to explode inside my head, reminiscent of that time Gerda and I had drunk a whole month's profit in two hours. I clutched my skull and decided even death would not help. Pain of this magnitude would no doubt follow me all the way to the underworld. How long? I croaked. My breath was a white cloud in the rapidly cooling air. I shivered and sat up. Goethe squinted up at the sky. It's almost dark. She had a black eye and a knot on the side of her head the size of a rock's egg. Hours then. Damnation! I leaned forward and pressed my aching head to my knees. The breeze shifted and the singing faded until I could no longer make out the words, at which point thinking became marginally possible. I'm going to rip Lomo's toenails off and use them to dig out his liver, I said hoarsely. That's the spirit, Gerda said weakly. For some reason, my mail seemed even tighter than before, though that could have been because I now had a bruise on my back matching each and every ring. Every breath was an exercise in additional pain. The wind shifted again, and I heard enthusiastic strains of, Come, come, come to the pyre in the wild wood. Oh, come to the pyre in the dell. I pulled myself up against the rapidly chilling rock of the cliff. Follow those voices. Goethe nodded soberly, and we staggered off in what seemed the right direction. The trail twisted around the mountain like a drunken dragon, now rising, now descending. The voices that drew us on caterwauled like demented choir boys, and as we drew near, I made out the third verse of Zeus, rest ye, merry gentlemen. They are having entirely too much fun, Goethe whispered. Yeah. I sat back on my heels and tried to catch my breath. I ran a finger under the constricting collar of my mail. Can chainmail shrink? You're probably just adding muscle, she said soothingly, though I could see by her dubious expression she didn't mean it. You've been so active lately. Right. It was full dark now, and we could see the orange glow of a fire up on the cliffs above. The frost-ridden wind gusted down the cliffs and cut straight through me. I rubbed my hands together for warmth, then reached for Esmeralda. My chilled fingers closed on an empty scabbard. The thought of Lomo's dirty hands touching my lovely custom-made hilt with the exquisite embossed elephant's head made me see purple and puce. Sermon! Sermon! The bandits were chanting. We want a sermon! But I'm not a priest! Purchased Dahl said abjectly, I keep telling you that. Give us a sermon, my fine potted plant, Lomo said, or we'll pluck out your nose hairs, one at a time. Goethe and I eased up the slope. Shadows cast in the firelight shifted on the rim as figures moved about and the stench of scorched donkey meat hung strongly in the air. Dearly beloved, Dahl said uncertainly, you should always be good and, and, not fond of your nose hairs, are you? Lomo said conversationally. And try not to be bad. Get to the confessing part, someone cried. That's our favorite. Some of you might have been a, a little bad, Dahl continued reluctantly. Someone sniffled, then broke into howling sobs. But if you confess to the Almighties, 
Which one? Lomo demanded over a chorus of wails. How in the blazes should I know? Dahl's voice was aggrieved. I keep telling you, oafs, that I'm not... There was the sound of a scuffle, then a shocked squawk. Which almighty? Lomo repeated. Any of them? Dahl squeaked in a voice at least two octaves higher than before. I'm sure it's their very great pleasure to attend to whatever you fine gentlemen care to say. Gerda's hand slipped, and she slid half a body length back down the slope. Above, I heard a familiar whicker. Corpse maker! She must have gotten my scent. No doubt the bandits had Gerda's slasher, too. Once we lopped off their mangy, lice-ridden heads, we'd recover our mounts and swords, and then delivered Dahl and his hymnals to Damory as promised. I tried to quicken my pace, but my chainmail was absolutely strangling me. Despite the impending battle, I realized I should have taken it off when I had the chance. I was gasping for air as I cleared the final foot of cliff. A boulder shielded me from their view, but around it, a few yards off, I could make out at least thirty bandits. As always, they were a moth-eaten, vicious-looking lot. One, dressed in a dozen ragged cast-offs, was kneeling before the hymnal merchant, who was holding his abused nose with both hands. Lomo stood with his back to us, surveying the scene. Great Isis, I'm really, really sorry, the bandit, a scruffy, bald-headed rogue, wailed. About what? Dahl spoke through his hands, his face pale as watered cream. About killing that self-satisfied, stuck-up prig of a prime minister from Mazer last week and stealing all his gold. And you won't do it again, Dahl prompted. The bandit wiped his eyes. Well, of course I'll do it again. Are you crazy? Next, Lomo called. Gerda's head eased up over the side of the cliff, and she crept beside me, panting. Now what, she whispered, belly down in the dirt. Shall we charge them one at a time or together? My mail tightened another notch. This time, I actually felt it contract. My hand flew to the first buckle on the side seam. I could kill them all myself, Gerda said, but it seems unsporting not to let you in on the fun. Another sinner was brought before the hymnal merchant in the wavering circle of firelight. And you? Dahl quavered. This bandit was a withered old coot who looked vaguely familiar for some reason. Had I perhaps done a poor job of killing him at some point, too, like Lomo? I ain't sorry about a bloomin' thing, he declared. Lomo cuffed him into the ashes at the edge of the fire. You wanted to confess, now get on with it. My chainmail, I wheezed at Gerda, fingers wrenching vainly at the buckle. Get it off. Her eyes widened. Now? The bandit picked himself up and brushed at the new smudges on his ragged trousers. Well, I suppose I could say I'm sorry about impersonating a goat herd last night so I could sprinkle your magic shrinking potion on Halla Ironthize's mail. That was very wicked of you, Lomo said, and then the two of them guffawed. I recognized him now, as the scene before me was rapidly being blotted out by swirling darkness of impending unconsciousness due to lack of air. He was the smelly lout who kept hovering behind my back at the tavern. Magic, I thought weakly. Lomo had used one of his bandits to magic me, the rotten bastard. I could feel my veins bulging, my face turning purple. My fingers wrenched at the buckle, but it must have been jammed in the fall I'd taken earlier and wouldn't give. Holla, they're going to hear you, Gerda whispered disapprovingly. Yes, ducks, Lomo walked around the boulder. You really should be more careful. Don't worry, Holla, Gerda sprang to her feet. I'll save a few for you to kill. The first buckle finally gave, and my chainmail popped open down to the second buckle, giving me a bit more room to breathe, though not nearly enough. 
Gerda charged, but her balance was off, courtesy no doubt of the lump on her head. Lomo thrust out his foot, then turned to me as she went down like a pole-axed buffalo. What about you, ducks? Is there something you'd like to confess before we throw you into that convenient bottomless crevice over there? It's best to go out with a clean conscience, you know. With a creak, the second buckle opened. I gulped air into my straining lungs. Gerda was sprawled on the ground at purchased doll's feet, a new lump on her head beside the earlier one, making a matched set. I was outnumbered thirty to one. Lomo had my horse and my sword. Even my trusty chainmail, veteran of years of fighting, had let me down. Maybe this was the change of life after all, and I'd worked too long at this exhausting, dangerous business. Maybe it was time to hang up my, Can I go now? Dahl ducked his head. You can keep the donkeys and the hymnals. Lomo whirled and shoved him to the ground beside Goethe's limp form. Get on with the confessions. Dahl's head hit Goethe's scabbard with a sharp crack. His eyes fluttered, then he sagged like a windless sail. The bandit surged forward, aghast. Lomo, you killed our priest, one of them cried. Now how are we going to confess? My fingers wrenched desperately at the last buckle, and finally, with a squeak, it gave. My chainmail split open along the side seam, and I drew in a blessed full breath. You promised us hymns and sermons and confession! A hulking brute seized Lomo's shirt and hauled him up onto his toes. Otherwise, we'd never have followed you. Now we've finally caught something at least close to a priest after all these months, and you bash his blinking head in. I think we need us a new king. A chorus of assent went up on all sides. Lomo looked decidedly nervous. First, though, the tall brute said, throw that meddling iron thighs broad down the crevice. We was doing fine until she showed up. Yeah! They advanced on me, a reeking, unkempt mob, unsatisfied repentance blazing in their eyes. I raised my chin, remembering whose daughter I was. No bunch of priest-deprived bandits was going to take me down. A true warrior is never without resources. If they wanted a sermon, Brethren, I cried, We find ourselves brought together by fate tonight out here under these brilliant, and I can assure you, all-seeing stars. They paused, slack-jawed. Some of you have not always led, shall we say, admirable lives. I said with as much authority as I could muster. Of that, I think we can all be certain. One of the worthless band whimpered. Down on your knees, dog. I crossed my arms and looked uncompromising. It's time to make amends. Three of the closest knelt. Wait a minute, Lomo cried, still hanging by his shirt from the brute's fist. She's not a priest. You never take presents to your mothers, do you? I tapped my foot. Two more dropped to their knees. Their eyes looked suspiciously red. This is stupid, Lomo broke in. Don't listen. His captor rammed him face first to the ground, then knelt, folding his hands piously. Lomo sprawled limp and barely breathing in the fire's dancing shadows. You slurp your soup and eat with your mouths open. You curse and burp and never even share. Five more knelt, openly sobbing. Gerda stirred. I put my foot in the middle of her back to hold her in place. Raise your eyes to the stars and confess all the nasty, dirty, rotten things you've ever done. The holdouts knelt along with the rest of my congregation and commenced airing their dirty laundry. It was a loud and most enthusiastic list. I eased my foot off Gerda's back. Get up, I whispered urgently. We have to go. Her hand twitched. Now would be a real good time. 
I said. The confessing faltered, and the bandit's feral eyes once again glittered at me in the firelight. I whirled back to them. Do you call those sins? I cried. By all the powers above, you are a pathetic bunch. I thought you were men. My grandmother has committed worse crimes than that. They raised their eyes and went back to it with a vengeance. I shuddered at the transgressions mentioned. By all accounts, they had been a very naughty lot. Goethe groaned, then hitched herself away from the fire, one agonizingly slow bit at a time. I reached down and slipped a hand through Dahl's belt and dragged him out of the light. Find the horses, I told Goethe. I'll collect our swords. She nodded groggily and lurched off into the darkness. I put my hands on my hips and strode through the crowd. One of the appropriated hymnals lay open close to the fire, and I picked it up and examined the inside cover. Oh, I thought, if we ever got back to the lowlands, both King Mitchell, the extremely picky of Damery, and King Bentley, the culinary of Alloway, would find this very interesting. I shoved the volume into my belt. Then I recognized Gerda's sword, Gutspiller, on the hip of a rugged blonde fellow. Slackers, I cried. Put your backs into it. I whacked the yellow-headed thief across the shoulders and sent him reeling, at the same time deftly filching the sword. My nose wrinkled as I turned away. By his pungent odor, he apparently hadn't bathed since birth. Do you think confession works if you mumble? I said. I can't hear you. The noise level climbed another notch. Straighten up, you lily-livered wuss, I told another. You look like a leaking sack of feed. I spotted my sword thrust through Lomo's belt. He was lying across it. Damnation. I worked my way around the babbling throng until I was looming over him. Fall on your faces, worms. Beg forgiveness of the Almighties. Most of them did, but several, including Lomo's attacker, hesitated. What we gotta do that for, he asked, as all around him confessions were shouted into the dirt. I never heard a no priest saying, fall on your face. I could fight him, of course but then I'd have to take on all 30 of them, not a practical choice at the moment. Say, I said, dropping my voice into a honeyed lower register and leaning closer, you are a big one, aren't you? I could go for a fine, full-sized fellow like you. The light in his eyes changed from petulance to vanity. He flexed his bicep and winked. Yeah? Yeah, I murmured throatily, then turned sideways and gave him a sharp elbow on the point of his jaw. He toppled like a felled hundred-year oak. That's the spirit, brother, I cried, then glared at the remaining two bandits. They hurriedly buried their faces in the dirt. Keeping an eye on my parishioners, I rolled Lomo's unconscious body over, freed Esmeralda from his worn belt, then glanced around for Goethe. She signaled me from the other side of the camp. Fortunately, she'd found the strength to hoist the hymnal merchant over Slasher's saddle like a deer carcass. The confessions were growing ever more hoarse and insignificant. The bandits were now down to episodes of dog kicking and flower trampling. We were almost out of time. All right, I said, enough confessing. It's time for a rousing chorus of, of, I searched for an appropriate song. What about, oh, come all ye druids, one tear-stained bandit suggested timorously. I always find that so uplifting. Splendid, I hauled the newly confessed miscreant to his feet. I'm appointing you, choir master, lead on. As off-key strains of the chosen song violated the clear mountain night air, I vaulted into Corpse Maker's saddle. Goethe mounted Slasher behind the merchant's body. Then we gave the horses their heads so they could pick their way down the winding, rock-strewn trail in the darkness. Behind us, the abysmal singing went on for a long, long time. I thought you two were supposed to be the best.
Dahl said the next day as we began our descent into the kingdom of Damory. His swollen nose was still beet red, and he talked thickly as though he had a cold. You lost all my stock and didn't kill a single bandit. I pulled out the battered hymnal I'd picked up the night before and opened the cover. I squinted, then held it out to him. Funny, I don't see an alloy tax stamp anywhere in this book. I pressed the volume to my chest. Merchant Dahl, have you perhaps been dealing with those renegade cut-rate monks down beyond the Brimford frontier? You know, the ones who don't believe in lawful taxes? Of course not. Dahl averted his bloodshot eyes. That's good, I said, because we all know how King Mitchell, the extremely picky, feels about tax evaders running goods across his border. I believe the last twenty or so were boiled in apple vinegar and then fed to the royal swine. Dahl flushed and stared down at his knotted fingers. You know, I've been thinking of emigrating across the channel to Doria. The weather is so much better there and the population is known for having perfect pitch. Just the place for a hymnal salesman to get ahead. Really? I said. According to Goethe, who'd been born across the channel, Doria was so far north they thought summer was when it sleeted instead of snowed. That does sound like a pleasant change. What about our fee? Goethe asked glumly. Golden wisps of hair had escaped her braids. Her black eye was swollen shut, and she didn't look nearly as valiant as usual. No doubt you want a refund. I leafed through the illicit hymnal, then hummed a few bars of that old standard, Cairn of Ages cleft for me. Keep your fee, Dahl squeaked. You earned it. I wouldn't dream of asking for a refund. He swallowed hard. Can I uh, have my hymnal back? Yeah, I tossed it to him. I suppose it does have a certain sentimental value. Dahl tore the pages out as we rode and threw them surreptitiously along the trail behind us, but otherwise kept blessedly quiet for the rest of the journey. Two nights later, we dumped Dahl off at the infamous Inn of the Second Wart at the foot of the mountain and then ate freshly roasted piglet out underneath the dazzling sweep of stars. Surprising that someone would be so careless about marking their stock, Gerda was saying. Are you sure that pig wasn't marked? Not after I whacked its ears off, I thought. Not a mark anywhere, I said. I wiped pork grease off my hands, then picked up my poor magic chainmail. It was now so small it fit in the palm of my hand, no bigger than a doll's shirt and shrinking ever more quickly as time went by. At this rate, it would be flea-sized by morning. I will have to order new chain mail when we get to town, but at least it won't be because I'm getting old. Goethe turned over on her back and stared up at the sky. I'm afraid you are in for a change, though. Surely you've heard that once you've been magic, you're much more sensitive to spells and potions and such. Don't be ridiculous, I said. That's just an old wives' tale. No, I swear it's true, Gerda said earnestly. It happened to my cousin, Ernelda. This lovesick dolt in the next village bought a cheap spell and cast it on her. As soon as the wedding was over and she regained her senses, she beat him to a pulp. But now she can't even pass one of those stupid street magicians without feeling obligated to turn cartwheels and sing charming little ditties. Gee, I said, something to look forward to. Well, Gerda said, as her blue eyes sagged shut, it did turn out to be a nice source of extra income. People are always throwing coins at her feet these days. I expect you'll get used to it. And that, I reflected, was the most depressing prospect of all. Episode number 19, Viler Kaftan's Galatea, about a woman literally losing herself in the city, got an interesting set of reactions. Blog comments were almost unanimously positive. Quirkus said, 
I felt a great kinship with your character. My mate and I moved to a city from a small town setting before he became disabled. Now I am the sole support and main caregiver for my family. It's easy when you're far from family and friends, and though I know lots of people here, to feel like you're falling apart or the city is chewing on you. Audita Soom said, Really nice story. It caught my attention more than usual. Plus, it was just good. It actually reminded me a little of Pseudopod's Fair. Sean, the sole dissenter, thought the story was fine, but wished for a more traditional fantasy. On the board, opinions couldn't have been more different. MacArthurbug said, I didn't hate it, but didn't much like it either. There was no sense of winning in the ending. It felt more tacked on. Ick. And ew. Bits falling off? Ew. And Nobilis said, This story struck me as heavy-handed and clumsy. The POV character, I hesitate to call her a protagonist, was too passive. The active character, the artist, was too absent. And the ending was telegraphed way too soon. I could have skipped the last half of the story, given the Wash Dyes-esque spoiler of the title. Aitant said, I liked this story, not loved it. I felt that some parts of it worked very well, especially the beginning description of the bus ride full of people visibly dying in different strange ways, but I also felt that at points the storytelling got muddled and confused. It's an interesting split of opinion. I don't think it means anything, it just fell out that way, but it's kind of interesting and cool that it did. You know what I'm going to say next. Come visit the message board at forum.escapeartist.info. There are a bunch of cool people there discussing this story and all the other ones, and they'd love to have you join in. Podcastle is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and is distributed on a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Share it, but don't change it or sell it. Our theme music is by Shiva in Exile. You can find them at magnatune.com. You can discuss this episode of PodCastle or nearly anything else on our forums. Just visit forum.escapeartist.info. And if you like science fiction or horror, be sure to visit our sister podcasts, Escape Pod and Pseudopod. And if you enjoyed this episode, tell a friend, or post to your blog about it, or consider donating via the PayPal link on our site. Henry David Thoreau said, Faith never makes a confession. <laughs>